0: Welcome to the Sellernomics Podcast, where we share valuable tips and information in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon personalities in the industry to help you grow your business. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Stanley and Lisa Kinski.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to today's episode of Sellernomics. My name is Lisa Kinski. I'm here with Rob Stanley back from his world tour. And we've got a a super exciting guest with us today. You guys all know him. He doesn't really need much of an introduction. Uh, We've got Carlos Alvarez with us with Wizards of Ecom. And we are going to be talking today about why Amazon sellers need to differentiate their products. So Carlos, thank you so much for being here with us today, dear.
2: Absolutely, thank you so much. Um, yeah, Carlos is love- always a fun interview. He has oh, such yeah. great content, such great content. This guy has seen so much with, with the fact that he does all these amazing meetups every Saturday. So he gets to interact with the sellers, give advice, hear things coming back and forth. So definitely a perfect person to be talking about why Amazon sellers need to differentiate their products. Carlos, kick us off, kick us off with like, what are we talking about when you're talking about differentiating? I know that can go a lot of different ways, but what what is kind of the first things that uh, sellers should be looking at to differentiate their products?
3: Absolutely. Great question. Thank you so much for the intro. Uh, I love seeing your world tour, by the way, uh, living <laughs> living through you in Japan. Hopefully the sushi was good.
0: <laughs> it was the
3: amazing. the w- When I'm talking about differentiation on Amazon, uh, and I think it's important to specify Amazon because a lot of what I'm going to say is you can differentiate in other ways if another platform is the most important thing. So if you really want to get the biggest bang for your buck with differentiation on Amazon, you want that differentiation to be apparent in the main image. So an example I'll give is I used to sell this this manual uh, coffee grinder skirt. You literally had to like hold the base and then you just like grind until your biceps burn or, or until you run out of coffee and you you grinded this thing but a manual grinder so you have a visual if if i wanted to differentiate that grinder and i decided that i was going to add another i don't know ceramic burr inside of this coffee grinder that is not visually apparent in the main image it's going to grind the coffee easier it, it might be an overall better experience it is a form of differentiation that's great but it's not going to have that 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 immediate you know knockout differentiation impact that you want on Amazon, because it's not apparent in the main image. And if we put your product next to another person's product, which is what happens when somebody searches for products on Amazon, Mm -hmm. they're going to look identical and people just don't read that much. So they're not going to really get into your A plus or it shows that, or maybe not even your other images. And then you're looking at like, uh, who's the cheapest, who has the best reviews. And at that point, if you're into creating valuable stuff, you've pretty much lost in my opinion on the other hand the thing we've all heard about a million times like the easiest one looking at you know negative reviews if if we looked at this and we realized i had this example with some whiskey glasses once and amazing reviews and then there was this one negative and it was a 3 3 or 4 so not you know not not the end of the world but it was a woman and my listing was like written for men and it was like it was some ignorance back then. And I was like, just men drink whiskey, you know? And there was this woman that was like, I I, I love to drink whiskey, you know, more than my (laughs) husband. And these glasses are huge. And in reality, they were like these Viking glasses. You you Uh know what I mean? So the, the simple solution there was, wow, I either have a totally different product that I can differentiate, like a his and her set, where the her is maybe a little smaller for the hand, or maybe I put some notches in there. So it's like an ergonomic grip either one of them would be immediately apparent in the main image. And that would be a form of differentiation that would have a much greater impact than Mm -hmm. even having something that's shatterproof glass, but looks identical on the main image. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: So, so when I'm talking about product differentiation, that's for this podcast, I'm talking about Amazon product differentiation and that's how to have, uh, I I would say the, the, the biggest impact. Now, One of the main reasons I have a few that that I'll share here, you know, time permitting is the main reason, and it's my most important one, usually when we're talking about products, is profitability. So, you want to be profitable when you sell a product. I've been in the position of having a high volume product that would let me, you know, qualify to be in some of these million dollar groups, but in reality, I can't pay my credit cards and like it's just a horrible situation. There's no profits. So, that sucks. You don't want to be there. Um, but if you differentiate, you really don't have to be there and it actually helps you with your profitability. Uh, few, I'm rambling. I don't know if you want to cut me off, but like the- No,
1: keep going. This this is awesome because it, it kind of leads directly into like my next question of how expensive is the process of, dif- of differentiating your products? Like exactly like you said with the whiskey glasses, right? Whether they're like metal or glass, when you're talking about adding in those notches, I mean, unless you're blowing this glass at home and and you can do it yourself. Like there's got to be a cost associated with differentiation. Right. So I think that's, that leads perfectly into that question of like, how, how do you differentiate and then also stay profitable? Uh,
3: that's a, that's a great question. And I would say one of the biggest forms of resistance against for newer sellers getting into private label, especially nowadays. And even, you know, e- even some existing ones is existing sellers is you know, I really don't want to invest a ton into, uh, starting this product. I want to do the bare minimum necessary. And, uh, I want to avoid getting a mold or investing into the differentiation of the product, which is, which is a real thing. Like you, you are adding more money to be able to differentiate the product. Now Mm -hmm. the cost that's associated with it depends a lot on the material type of the product. So I, when i started and had a very you know shoestring budget if you will uh, i was a huge fan of like ceramics and glass and stuff like that because the the molds or changing of the product when you're dealing with those material types are extremely affordable so i could get those whiskey glasses let's say and put notches in them and i might be looking at anywhere from like 150 to 350 dollars to like change the mold on something like that roughly um if i was looking at something that's in the plastics area i might be looking at a few thousand dollars and with metals, it, it can go up a lot more than that. Like I, I tried to price out to differentiate some hookah stems a long time ago, and they were these metal twisted hookah stems, and they were tens of thousands of dollars to be able to do the mold. My my the reason why I say that is still the most profitable way to go about differentiating your product is that when you do create, it doesn't have to be a mold. Like there's there's other ways to differentiate, but when you do go ahead and you create a mold and you make a physical you know, change to the aesthetics of this product. Mm-hmm. A few things happen. One, you're able to price your product for more because it is actually different. And being able to say price your product for you know five dollars different because it has these notches, um, that's going to pay for itself forever. You're going to recoup the cost of that mold like in a couple months of selling. Another way that you're going to be able to uh, realize more profits when you, when you do get the mold is PPC. So your products are going to convert a lot better in paid ads because it's different. Um, assuming your differentiation is a good one. Um, yeah. it's just going to convert a lot better. So you're not going to have a lot of wasted hemorrhaged ad spend going out. Uh, another what way good? that it makes it, I'm sorry, one one final way that to make it a lot yeah. more profitable has to do with a uh, product life cycle. So to just really extend the product life cycle that you're able to sell this product. What was your question?
1: My question was going to be, you said, assuming that your differentiation is a good one, what's a bad product differentiator? Like, do you have an example of something where you've seen where you're like, this is totally unnecessary or like made the product worse at the end of the day?
3: Um, I've seen them. I, I, I don't have, usually those products are so short lived that you can't really just like link to them uh cuz if you differentiation if you differentiate just for the point of differentiating you you're just it doesn't do anything now if you uh i'll give you just one example like trying to stick with the same product like talking about a manual coffee grinder if you were to put the handle of this grinder instead of on the top where they all go and you're like hey I want to stand out I'm just going to put it on the bottom and you stuck the uh the grinding mechanism the handle if you will on the bottom of the coffee grinder then you know that's not doing anything. So that would be a bad differentiation. one of the, one of the beauties of Amazon, though, is that you actually can see in the reviews what are the uh, wh- what are the areas where people are basically telling you by way of a bad experience or a good experience or I wish this was different, what you could differentiate about the product uh, in order for you to differentiate it.
1: Mm, Yeah, definitely. So Rob, did you have a question to ask uh, Carlos? I'm sorry, my my screen's actually frozen. I can't (laughs) see you guys, but I can hear you.
2: No, no. I I did want to follow up with Carlos. And unfortunately there's some construction going on where I'm at, but uh, Carlos, what about, you know, used to be back when uh, people were getting into Amazon, you know, let's call it in 2012, 2013, 14, somewhere in there, it was really easy to just kind of slap your name on a product, put it up on Amazon and it would sell. Does that work anymore? Like, is there still cases of people trying to do that, or do you definitely have to come up with a private label, your own brand, something different than the sort of Me Too product? What's your uh, thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, there's still some there's still some instances now in some niches where you can get away with that, but your your life of being profitable on that product is going to be very short lived. Um, I personally think this is the reason why the PL model that's gaining in popularity right now is this like constantly be launching approach and to go for, you know, f- let's aim towards 5,000 ASINs in our catalog versus 60. And it's, we are just going for this, Hey, as long as it sells five per day, it, it turns into almost this, like uh this X experience, you will, or day trading thing. Um, I think the days of that are, are quickly ending on Amazon. And one of the reasons would be the, the, the new privacy settings, especially on iOS, when it comes to email marketing and Facebook ads, a lot of people are moving their ad budgets over to Amazon. And there are these big brands that have huge budgets that have invested a lot in branding, have invested a lot in differentiation by way of patents or however, however they're differentiating. And these me too products are going to become increasingly difficult to, uh, to get successful on and, and and to be able to recognize a profit on and have enough margin even to, uh, call this a business and be able to have employees and, and grow.
2: Yeah. So, so they're going to probably have to follow up then with, uh, you know, even if you do find a product and let's say it's a me too product, is it's successful at some point, you want to make a variation of that, right? Like that has your own, mm-hmm. uh, I keep saying variations, but, uh, own features is what I'm looking for. Uh, so, you know, if, if that's the case that you come up with this idea, like this is a great selling product, but maybe if I change X, Y, Z on this now, all of a sudden it's a unique product to me, you got to go through the process of probably getting, uh, that redone by the factory that may need a different mold. Uh, you know, so what is something like that cost? Is that expensive to do, or is it not too expensive because you're kind of using, something that exists at a factory, but you're just making your own variation of it. Kind of walk us through that, Carlos.
3: Yeah. I think there's minor tweaks that you can make to a product that don't require you to invest a bunch in, in, in into molds. And that's what we're really talking about. Um, uh, glass, ceramics, stoneware and stuff like that is I, I find to be very affordable to, to like really differentiate and, and, and change up a lot. Uh, plastics would be, you know, the next level up and, depending on what you're doing and how many pieces it is uh, can be, I don't know, a thousand dollars to $5,000. And then metals are a lot more expensive. Now you can make minor tweaks to a product and say, Hey, I differentiate it. You could change the color of a product. And that is a form of differentiation, but the defensibility of those differentiations are uh, not very defensible. Um, uh, Greg Mercer, great guy. Love him over from jungle scout. He, He, he was really gained some popularity for jungle scout and doing, uh, some marketing videos. I don't know if you guys remember it had to do with jungle sticks. Um, you know, back then you could do giveaways and give away free products to launch stuff, but the product differentiation that was done, I think was they added more sticks to the pack. So the quantity changed Hmm. differentiation. Sure. But if you're an established seller selling jungle sticks and you see that, you know, your 50 pack is now losing sales to the 100 pack. How easy is it? to just reach out to your factory that you probably have preferred pricing on and say, hey, let's create a listing that's 100 or let's do a 250. It's very easy. So that color quantity in a lot of cases, um, it is a differentiation, but it's not defensible enough. When you start getting into molds, for an example, and you have to spend a thousand plus dollars, you'd be surprised how many, uh, uh, how many sellers immediately just hit the brakes. Like, whoa, that's an extra thousand dollars. I'm not going to get into that. Same way these, these types of sellers too, they, they want to do air freight. If I can't air freight this over and get it immediately, I'm not doing it. You know, sea freight's too complicated for me, or I don't want to spend that money Th- Those are people that, you know, usually bring a listing over. And when the products arrive, then figure out how to do FBA and what is ads. So they're, they're unsuccessful sellers and they tank the price. If your product is not very differentiated, then you're going to suffer because everyone's crushing you on price and your differentiation is not enough. For you to command the the price that you're asking for, does that make sense?
1: Absolutely, yeah. And, and I'm yeah, glad that you.
3: What's pick up stick? What what are jungle sticks? It, yeah, what are that jungle sticks? sticks? <laughs> there were these there were these sticks that you put like marshmallow. You stick a marshmallow on the end and you put it over the fire. I actually learned this the hard way with my kids, and we you know we put the stick there, and I don't know how to create a fire. Like this is assuming you know how to build a fire. Um, I don't. So I created this massive fire and you couldn't get anywhere near this thing. So I really wanted this marshmallow to be, you know, toasty for my son's first experience, singed all my arm hair on this thing. And then I realized, wow, a differentiation. What if these things were longer and it already exists, but that's where it starts. And you went from, oh, there's more quantity. Let's make them longer. So you don't have to get close to the fire further differentiate. And that's not very defensible. Defensible to me would be, okay, Well, wood burns and you can't keep it in there. What if we're talking about stainless steel? So what if we have this long stainless steel stick that we can put a marshmallow on the end? Then you're thinking, well, this thing's 18 inches. I'm going to get stuck in the oversized category on Amazon. I don't want to pay those fees. And now you're looking at, well, why don't I make it telescoping to where or telescoping? Mm -hmm. I don't want to say that right. So now we have this long stick, but it can come in a small package. So we've differentiated in two different ways. We've re-engineered it. We've made it longer and we've changed the material. And then finally, even then, you might look at it and be like, okay, everybody's doing this. Well, what if we put a little handle on the end of this, kind of like a medieval jousting stick, right? And and I'd look into the category and say, you know, marshmallow sticks is a huge category can make a ton of money, but how much could I make on like medieval jousting stick themed marshmallow (laughs) sticks around the fire? And, And I bet you, you could do several hundred thousand dollars in it. So differentiating like that allows you to own the category easier. I'm sorry, easier, lets you increase the product's life cycle. It's going to allow you to sell it for a lot more. And yeah. And overall that translates into more profitability. Absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> yep.
2: Yep. Let, let's take a quick uh, commercial break. And when we come back though, I want to talk to Carlos a bit about sourcing. Like how, how are you finding these products? How are you coming up with these ideas for these products uh, right after this commercial break?
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at Gatita.com slash Sellernomics.
2: Be sure to head on over to Gatita.com forward slash Sellernomics. Get that $400 in free FBA reimbursements. We have Carlos Alvarez from Wizards of Ecom. We're talking about why Amazon sellers need to differentiate their products. Now, Speaking of differentiating, but also like sourcing or finding products. So, Carlos, let's let's dive a little bit into like when you're looking for a new product, is it just like like we were talking about the sticks you were coming up with, and did it happen to be you're out camping and you thought of this idea, or how do you come up with different ideas for some of these products that uh, you know you're looking to source or make and then start selling on Amazon?
3: Yeah, another another great question. Um, my way that I do it is probably the least popular way in in the, in the Amazon world. But again, it's, it's what I do and it's worked for me. I, with very few exceptions, when I started, I, I start brands and I launch PLs that I'm passionate about or would like to be passionate about. And a lot of the times that comes about for me in my day-to-day life, like for example, you know, I went to the doctor, you know, obviously we all have high stress businesses. He's like, Hey, you need to chill out. You need to relax. But I'm incapable of having a hobby that's just for fun without turning it into a business. So I immediately <laughs> thought of, you know, what, what kind of hobby can I do that is relaxing? And I thought of bonsai and I know nothing of bonsai outside of the karate kid movies, if you've seen them. And it's like, what, that sound that looked super peaceful. Like you're just chill sitting there with a plan. I like gardening. Like, there's accessories involved in this. Um, I don't know how to do it. I bet other people don't. There's probably some courses. This is going to be easy to create a video ad. So my mind went that way. I know nothing about bonsai, so I can't say I'm passionate about it, but there's enough there. There's for me to say, I'd like to be passionate about this. So I built this idea out over and over. I wind up passing it to a friend of mine named Tom, who, 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 you know, really well, uh, and who actually makes a ton from Gatita recovering money from them to this day. Um, so started an amazing brand which he doesn't mind sharing called Leaves and Soul. So you can look at it. I work with him on it, um, and it dominates in 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 the bonsai accessory space. So I do that. Um, look at what's going on in your day to day life and what you actually like. I get a lot of pushback from that, and someone's like, "Oh no, you know, I'd rather turn on Helium Ten or some other tool." And nothing against them, but I feel like when you do that, you're now forced into this filter that everybody else uses, which is this thing where everyone winds up selling the same product, and that's a disaster. Um, if you though feel like you know the only thing I'm passionate about is positive cash flow because I, I hear people say that right, I'm passionate about anything as long as it's po- positive cash flow for me. I would say the way you could spark that train of thought, um, and start that process going would just be to grab some trade journals, like American B Journal, um, anything with race cars. Just think of the most random things, crochet, knitting, doesn't matter. You can find these resources just full of these trade journals and just go in there and look at what they're talking about. Look at the ads that are being run in those things. They're talking about the latest stuff in a super niche market that's coming out. A lot of the times I find products in there that I can't even surface using. I'm, I'm saying helium 10 only because that's the most popular one, but like helium 10 jungle scout, like I can't even find these things there, but I'm finding them in the journal and it's very easy for me to say, okay, how can, how can we improve this? Um, and, and go from there. That That's what I do. And I love it. It, I've never launched an unsuccessful PL uh, in 15 years. So I'm going to keep wow. doing it and I recommend other people do it.
1: That's that's brilliant. Do, do you find, in, in terms of, of, of sourcing the products, do you find that the location of where the item is manufactured, is that enough of a differentiation? Like if, uh, for example, there's a product that's largely manufactured in China, as, as, as most of these are, especially on Amazon, um, is having a product like, made in the usa or like locally sourced by artisans in mexico like is, is that enough of something because you can put a stamp on that on the photo to kind of visually portray it is that enough
3: yeah it, it is a form of differentiation origin is definitely one um it's i would say yeah anytime you go outside of china uh is so a la carte they've spoiled us for years on how easy it is to just get stuff <laughs> done for as much complaints as there are but if you try to source from anywhere, even Mexico, like you just try to go anywhere and find some factories and just, they're going to get everything done, the packaging, everything, the mold in one spot a la carte. It just doesn't happen. It's, it's, it's a disaster. It's like a, you need some great project management skills and, and a network to be able to pull that off. So if you can, because of that, if you are able to successfully source from a country that communicates say quality like germany has a lot of that like high precision quality stuff that is a differentiator to me because it's going to be so difficult for other people to be able to pull off the same thing like maybe you had the contacts in germany that helped you pull that off if you're launching a food product a food product from china it's got a lot of obstacles to overcome but if you're launching an italian or french or us based us based not so much but if it's italian or french I feel like in the food space that really lends like uh, some creds and that may allow you to sell more if we just called it Italian chocolate, you know? (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it it definitely can act as a differentiator. I've not done a lot of differentiation in the using origin. My only experience would be that uh, that actual coffee grinder that I use as an example, Mm -hmm. we business partner and I decided to put, let's just put engineered in Germany and see what helps. We did we sold it for more money we sold more of it and then we found out it was against the law so <laughs> we we put the made in china stickers back on we started getting bombarded from questions from people saying hey where is this actually made um yeah. and they pinned us down on it so yeah origin can definitely be a differentiator
2: carlos do you, do you find uh you know kind of following up to what lisa asked are you finding any sort of trends of things shifting from, let's say, China to U.S. made? um, And then what kind of challenges? I mean, we're talking about tariffs have gone up, you know, substantially in the last few years for items coming over from China. But is it at the point now that maybe you start considering getting it made in the U.S. because of some of those higher tariffs? And then the premium that might go with that, just kind of following up with what uh, Lisa asked and what you were just talking about. Is that trend shifting towards the U.S.?
3: So are you asking me or are you asking Lisa? <laughs> I'm asking you. I think he was no, asking I mean, you. I've, I've, been the, I've been out of the game too long. <laughs> okay. Um. It depends on the product. There's the, I think there's a trend amongst newer sellers that are tapped into a community, especially Wizards of Ecom community or whoever has a community that has been around a while and can let people know, hey, there's other options here besides China. And the, then the seller is product agnostic that... Yeah, there is a trend towards non China and US. I would say US and Mexico would be two big ones right now. Mm-hmm. The thing is, the majority of people I see attempting to do stuff in Mexico, they're just not able to connect all the dots. And if you're product agnostic and the product can be made in the US, that just becomes significantly easier. Um, there's a show called PLMA, Private Label Manufacturers Association. I go every year. Blessed now that the group's excited about it too. So we go as a group every year, it's in Chicago. It's um it's full of nothing but US based factories, a lot of food stuff, but US based factories that have low MOQs and competitive pricing. So if you're product agnostic, this is a gold mine for you. Like you're you're just gonna get a whole bunch of people you could work with in the US. So there is a trend, uh, definitely towards that. But China is, and for the foreseeable future, unless they hope to God they don't invade Taiwan, like for the foreseeable future, they're the 800 pounds gorilla in the room. Like they they run it.
2: So that that brings up a good point. Um, if you're in China and you're getting things made, should you be looking at backup uh, India or Mexico as a backup that if something does happen politically, you maybe have factories on board or ready to start sourcing from? And maybe you're even starting to source some of your products from there. Uh, I know we kind of got a little off differentiating products here, but I think this is important because you just mentioned uh, there's a lot of political unrest going on over in China right now. And if something does happen, we could see a cut, a stop of, of items coming in. So maybe now is the time to look at that. So so are, have you done that or have you heard some of the people that you inter- sellers you interact with starting to kind of maybe look at secondary sourcing? And then how does that affect their cost As far as maybe molds and things like that,
3: yeah. The I'm I feel like I'm in a different position at this point. You've been a full time seller for over for 15 years, um, and I have a different budget than when I started. So, you know, exploring, you know, saying I'm done sourcing from China right now is okay, even if it's more expensive for me. Um, And for a lot of people starting, that's just not the budget they're working with. So, for me, yes, I, I if if the project is meaningful to me. I don't plan on sourcing from China within the next three years. And I've just added into my filter, like this product needs to be able to be sourced from the Americas. Um, And it's not out of any kind of sense of patriotism or anything like that. It's just, we're in control of what we put in our filters on how we source our products and why not make this easier? There's the tariffs, there's, you know, unrest, unrest, uh, going on in the world. Why not just make sure I'm setting myself up for success for the next few years. As far as cost of molds, um, I don't find the cost of molds change that much. Uh, as long as you're working with a company, like a country that specializes in this, I've never sourced out say molds for like ceramic porcelain or stoneware products in the U S but on Mexico, they seemed the same as in China or about the same. Uh, And everything else I've tried to price out on the molds is about the same. Where I do notice a difference in the other countries is the MOQs. So a lot of people complain about like a 2000 piece MOQ in China and in Mexico, it's 10, 20,000 units, you know, pretty frequently, uh, my experience. So I don't think sellers are ready for that. Um, Where I think the biggest change will come with differentiating a product or product sourcing, if one of these things, God forbid was to happen. And by the way, we'd have a whole lot of other bigger problems in the world to deal with um, than, than this, if it did happen. But I, but I think the biggest thing that is what would happen if, if that occurred and just the way we're going with Amazon is the types of products that we sell are going to drastically have to change as Amazon sellers. We need to start paying attention to the lifetime value of a customer Um, not having a Shopify store or an offline presence, I don't think is going to be an option anymore. And if you are going to sell your product off Amazon and it's a me too one-off product, it's not going to justify the ad spend that you need to spend to get people to your site. So getting products that are consumables, focusing on those replenishables and and really maximizing the lifetime value of a customer you can get, I think that's going to become the priority. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. We want to talk to Carlos a little bit more about Wizards at Ecom. Uh, kind of what is it about, how you can get involved in it uh, right after this quick break. Did you know that Amazon probably
0: owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at getita.com slash sellernomics.
2: Yeah. So head on over to gatita.com forward slash seller get that $400 in free FBA reimbursements. We're here with Carlos Alvarez, Wizards of Ecom. We're talking about why Amazon sellers need to differentiate their products. And we just got some great advice from Carlos, mm-hmm. but I do want to jump into Wizards of Ecom. Carlos, give us a little background on how did the Wizards of Ecom start uh, and where what led up to where it is now?
3: Yeah. Wizards of Ecom started, used to be called Wizards of Amazon. We were a meetup group that met you know, once a month then twice a month, and now we're up to 20 events per month across different chapters in uh, Miami, Tampa, San Diego, LA, a big announcement on a new city um, we just acquired that'll be an- announced soon. Um, and it's always been this meetup up until COVID and 2020 COVID, it, we, we used to meet in an unrelated business of mine called Salsa Kings. We used to close the dance studio down on a Saturday and we would meet there. But during COVID I needed to move that dance studio out and rather than break lease or deal with the legal ramifications of that, I just decided to, you know, we're always, this group is massive. We need a spot to meet all the time and be able to set up and call home. I just took over the lease for our wizards of Amazon meetup group. We couldn't call ourselves wizards of Amazon with a physical location because we'd get sued so we pivot we rebranded into wizards of ecom which better describes what we do amazon's the focus of what we talk about but expanding into you know international selling shopify uh, other you know other third party platforms uh, that's that's an important thing that we should talk about and 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 that's really where wizards of ecom was born uh, expanding i just have this crazy idea i'd love to have a wizards of ecom chapter in every major city uh, Gettita's been absolutely amazing in like trying to support that. My wife hasn't kicked me out for thinking about those crazy things, so I'm still like trying to do that. Um, I definitely make some mistakes along the way, and we try things, and sometimes it doesn't work. But it's a free, it's a community that's 100% free to attend. Uh, we have a podcast called Wizards of Ecom that talks about different things or amplifies things that we've already talked about, and. I would say all of my friends have, like the majority of my friends, like I, Rob, I've known you since before, uh, Wizards of Ecom's existence, I believe, yeah. but like the majority of my friends now come from this community. Uh, we know each other's family. There's, there's relationships that have started from here, businesses that have grown and exited. I'm super proud of it. It's, it's not a, like a, my major money source, if you will, like it's, that's not it. It's just my greatest passion. I, yeah, I, I always
1: wondered what motivated the the name change from Wizards of Amazon to Wizards of Ecom. So thank you for that, because a I,
3: lawsuit, a
0: lawsuit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was always curious, but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I you know, I've I've been able to attend one event uh, of Wizards of. I, I think you you had rebranded Wizards of Ecom at the time, and. Um, you have such an awesome group of people that that are in your community, very welcoming. And uh, let me know when you open up the Atlanta chapter if that's on the roadmap because I will absolutely be there.
0: <laughs> I will. I
2: absolutely will. <laughs> absolutely. So let's, uh, Carlos, just tell everybody if they want to go find out more about Wizard Ecom or maybe get a hold of you, uh, what what do they need to do to do that? And I'll throw it up on the screen. But for those listening, uh, go ahead and tell them how they get a hold of you and uh, where they need to go.
3: Yeah. The easiest way to find out all of our events across all chapters and everything else we have going on is to download our app, Wizards of Ecom. It's in wherever you download your apps, uh, download it there and you get anything you need. Um, you can reach me. Uh, uh, there's, I see on the screen, Carlos at com. You could also email me at Carlos at Wizards of Ecom.com. And you can text me. My real number is 305-902-1283. Nobody does it, but if you want to just say, Hey, I want to show you
2: that I'm actually going to
3: do it. It's me. (laughs) It's not a bot. I I will text you back. If you just call me blindly, I probably won't pick up, but if you just text me and like introduce yourself, I probably will talk back. No, I hundred percent will respond. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Carlos
2: is great at responding and absolutely great information. Carlos, we really appreciate you coming on. I'm going to give a quick plug out, even though it's probably a year from now when you hear this, Uh, The Online Seller Cruise, uh, there is an app for that also. I'm becoming actually a regular on the Online Seller Cruise. Absolutely love the group of people. Uh, You want to talk about really deep content and information being shared and being on a cruise with people for about seven days. Uh, It's absolutely incredible and uh, just absolutely love uh, the cruise. So go check that out, OnlineSellerCruise.com. Sign up for next year. Come join myself, Carlos, and a whole bunch of sellers that share information. Uh, Always a good time there. Carlos, thank you for coming on the Sellernomics podcast. Absolutely love having you on every time. Great information, and uh, we'll definitely see you soon. Thank you, Carlos. Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Sellernomics podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Gatita. Did you know that Amazon probably owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatitacom slash sellernomics. Be sure to join us again next week for more great tips on how to grow your business. And thanks again for listening.